DB or whatever. No. Do we even need that? No. No. We, need, we, we do not need any extra decimals we need at less, all. We need less DBs. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was like, we could definitely pack the studio up with some more soundproofing. Dude. I was reading, actually, how to, like, get our proofing up behind the wall on you. Uh, I was reading through, like, uh, uh, school, school teachers. How to hang stuff on concrete walls. Right. And, and prisoners. Yeah. <laughs> I like, have concrete nails in no, my car. I'm saying I want to do it without damaging the wall. Shayna does not want damage on her walls. And it says hot glue guns. Oh. You hot oh. glue it on there and it'll oh. peel off. Yeah. Or what I was looking for is those like command hooks. Yeah. You know, puncture holes and put it up there. But uh, when I was at Target last night, all sold out. I'll tell you, and Amazon, they were back ordered when I originally really? tried to order. What does everybody want with command hooks? I don't know. For? Listen, they Maybe. don't damage your walls. Like people in apartments love that shit. Yeah. That is true. My four pieces of art that I had in my place was uh, was all command hooks. <laughs> you know what's funny? <clears throat> Do you know where upstairs circus is, Jordan? Yes. Okay. So we went there last weekend, and I decided to do like the the urban art thing okay and i picked this it was like a fox and a tuxedo right and i was like okay this will be fun and i thought it was like a uh straight up like what do they call it we have a screen print yeah right i thought yeah. that's yeah, what yeah, it was yeah. you paint the background screen print it no 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 no. you outline the whole thing with a pen and then it uh like charcoal transfers on there then you outline the whole thing with a permanent marker so you can see your marks then you paint it all in after like two and a half hours, I'm like, okay, I'll just do this later. Yeah, jeepers. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah, I'm like, I mean, I have it all outlined. I just need to like paint it. But right. holy fuck, because there's whiskers, there's little hairs everywhere. <laughs> it's just like, it was way too daunting of a task. Jeez. But, but that would, and they're like, here, you get a ticket for a free mystery cocktail, right? Whoa. I'm not the. I don't usually go out of my way for cocktails. So I'm like, is there like a mystery beer I can have or something? She's like, there's no mystery beer. So I had to have like this weird grapefruit Moscow mule. I bet it was great. It tasted good. Oh, yeah. It, it was good. But when I heard grapefruit, I was like, okay, I'm going to have a stomachache after yeah. this one. <laughs> uh, grapefruit gives you a tummy ache? Well, anything too acidic. I see. Like if I, mean, I, yeah. if I eat too many oranges or drink too much orange juice or right. like hey, apple listen, juice. Listen, we're getting to that age. I know. I got to. And now the goddamn uh, acid pills are giving people cancer. Oh, yeah. So it's like, what What are you supposed to do now? Just suffer uh, with it or drink what? Drink whole milk. Ugh, no, I, I've pretty much cut milk out of my life at this point. I love milk. I do too, but like somehow I haven't worked out in like two months and my weight's been like sustaining. Just by not drinking it? I've cut milk out completely and oh. like cut down on like how much eat at night. Right. So I used to like eat a big meal at night and now it's just like... Little meals throughout the day instead of one big meal and like two little meals. So right. So, so I think that helps. Yeah. Did I tell you guys I got the best Christmas present ever? You what? did. You did. <clears throat> My sister got it for me. I, I'm assuming this thing costs like twenty bucks. Literally, all you do: fill the bottom with coffee grounds, fill it up with water. It has a little press. You hold it up top. You let it sit for about twelve hours. And uh, after 12 hours, you push it down. You got fresh cold press. Whoa. Best coffee ever. Best coffee ever. I mean, I've got a French press. 
I mean, I'm, I'm, you could probably do the same thing, but uh, fuck, man. So 12 hours it sits, yeah. and then bam, perfect. Or, or 24 hours if you're feeling really vivacious. I mean, yeah. Ooh. Or if you just <laughs> you drink your cold press and then fill it up for tomorrow. That's yeah. what I would do. Well, uh, it's supposed to be a 12 cup, and it'll last me like two days. Right. So every two right. days I'm filling it up. <laughs> right. But ground coffee is a hell of a lot cheaper than Keurig Beans. cups. Oh, oh yeah. God, yeah. And so, oh, my God, yeah. And I like my coffee cold, so it's the perfect. And also better for the environment. Exactly. Than those K cups killing all those turtles. They're so nice to have, but yeah, Yeah. you don't think we got to we got to cut down on uh, one time use plastics. That's right. We got to do it. We got to do it. We're gonna try our hardest (laughs) here tonight on the Bumblebutt Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to it. It's the only show on the internet that uploads weekly. Who knows what it'll be about? Certainly not me. My name is Adam. Sitting across from me is Jordan. Oh, what up? You're alive. You're back from the dead. I am. That's uh, good. Listening to the last between. um, Yeah, no, my phone's been a real piece of shit and not receiving texts lately. (laughs) Dude, okay, here's what you have to do. Do you have an iPhone? Yes. Which variant? 6S. You got to pop your SIM card. Really? You need a push pin. Every time it does that, you got to pop your SIM card and put it back in. Because, like, now it's working fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it comes and goes. Sometimes it needs a tower ping. Oh. And to do that, you need to pop your SIM card and put it back. I did not know that. So how, how long's the, like, reset time between every time he does this? Well, my phone's <laughs> on the fritz as well. My phone's broken as fuck, right? I thought you had, like, a 10. No, I got an 8 plus. 8 plus, okay. And uh, I got to do it, like, twice a day. But Jesus. Your, yeah. And yours is older than mine, so maybe yeah. it's starting to show its age. God damn. Well, his has to be, what, like six years old? Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, In order to get your text, I got both of your texts today at the exact same time <laughs> at 4.30 p.m. I don't yeah. know what time you sent them, but that's right after I ejected I and put my shit I sent that in. shit while I was yeah. at work this yeah. morning. There you go. <laughs> it was like one o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> so I got them both at the exact same time when I put my SIM card, when I popped my SIM card and put well, it Well, I thought it was a little weird because Jordan at least usually says like, hey, I can't make it or right. whatever, but it was just zero response. So yeah. Well, we're all here now, aren't we? <laughs> the regular right. time, regular place. Also sitting across from me, thanks for being here, Jordan. Also sitting across from me is Cody. I'm kind of rushing through this because uh, we got a long one here tonight. Oh, uh, no problem. Cody, uh, how are you doing? I'm I'm doing fantastic. Why is it every time we start recording, my throat starts turning to mush? That's what happens every single time. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm like maybe I'm coughing throughout the day and I'm fine, but I don't know. Every time we start recording, it just hits me. I, every I feel like time. I have a bottle of blackstrap molasses just yeah. stuck in my throat yeah. right I, now. I actually bet that would make your throat feel better <sighs> if I'm being completely Ooh. honest with you. Warm water and some blackstrap. Yeah. There you go. Probably coats your throat. And yeah. Well, it I, feels like a seagull took a shit in the back <laughs> of my throat. I remember this one hillbilly guy told me that if you drink like a shot of olive oil. You can drink all night without getting drunk, but the wow. second it uncoats you, oh. you're going to be plastered. Oh. So 
Got to be careful with so that. So if one. you have a drinking contest, it would be <laughs> yeah. a good How idea. many D dubs does uh, that man have? <laughs> Seriously, I I don't know. I didn't ask him that, but he claims that worked. So how many times has the olive oil worn off on his drive home? That's what I want to know. <laughs> I'm going to say every <laughs> every time. All right. Well, that's everybody here. Everyone has been introduced. Everyone Let's get the is fuck into it. Lovely. Hell yeah. Today, boys, we are going to go on the beginning of a two part adventure. Ooh. Hell yeah. And this is about. Something that's been severely underrepresented, if you ask me, on this show. Really? And that is smuggling. Hell oh, yeah. Like yes. like Han Solo oh, level smuggling? Oh, oh, oh yeah. Okay. This, I'm this, into that. The man we're going to speak about in these next two episodes is Charles Lawrence, the prince of smugglers. <laughs> I was like, can think about his prince of Persia when you say that. Yeah. And then that <laughs> makes me think of hot ass Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> oh, I never watched that movie. Is it me terrible? Neither. I've never seen it either. Uh, is he also Assassin's Creed? <clears throat> no, that's Fastbender. Ah, that's Michael Aspen. I couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to watch that either because people said it was fucking trash. If it's a video game movie, <laughs> it probably ain't no good. <laughs> Polar Vortex. You know it. Ugh, you love it. I hate it. We've talked about it. It was a year ago to the day yesterday. That's right. And it was February 10th, 1875 in this story. In Montreal, the temperature was negative 40. <sighs> And Charles L. Lawrence slipped away into the night, hoping to outwit the American detectives hot on his ass. Well, if it's like modern cops, they definitely aren't going to go outside in that temp. Yeah, they're, they're, <laughs> pull, they're not pulling the boat over. No. Since Charlie had fled New York City a month before, he had lodged in the first-class five-star Ottawa Hotel, which had entertained Union officers and Confederate spies alike looking for R&R north of the border. Leaving his baggage behind... Charlie headed up the St. Lawrence to the town of Wolf River, where he boarded a two-horse sleigh across New Brunswick. <laughs> That's hell of a getaway vehicle there. <laughs> <laughs> he rode 200 miles to St. John and then up to Halifax, where he bought a ticket for the SS Caspian to Queenstown, Ireland, and then from there on to Liverpool, England. I'm just amazed that he did 200 miles on a horse sleigh. <laughs> through, uh, through, like, the Arctic North. You I mean, know, were they dashing through the snow? I believe so. In a two-horse open sleigh. Well, if you think about it from, like, the Shining perspective, the guy, the psychic guy, the black guy, With takes, like, eight hours <laughs> to get... Two miles up the little tank snow thing, and this guy's going with a horse and sleigh 200 miles. So. He's hauling ass. Step on, come on, guy. <laughs> Lawrence looked nothing like the seafaring rogue you'd expect him to be, and that's the way he'd like it, I think. His official passport described him as olive skin, having black hair above a high forehead, small gray eyes bordering a big old nose, and a full mustache accentuating an already comically broad mouth. This actually sounds surprisingly like Soapy Smith. Wow, really? It does, really. really? Because, like I said, I was working on like uh, our Patreon bonus, and if you really look close at uh, Soapy, he's got a big nose, he's very hairy, he's got like a short forehead. Right. So, like a, okay. Wow. Well, or I guess a high forehead. <laughs> yeah, he's got like a five head. I, I, okay, I just learned that, that that was what that was. Yeah. I didn't know that. I guess I'm a forehead. Yeah, yeah you're a forehead. Thing. I thought I had a high forehead, too. What's Peyton Manning, like 18 Oh, head? yeah. yeah. 
Peyton Manning's like a triple hand head. You've never yeah. heard five head before? Well, I've heard it in like the Twitch meme community. Yeah. But I didn't know what it actually meant. Yeah, but... man. <laughs> it means you have a gigantic forehead. That's so wow. funny. That's like when I didn't know that Daywalker, that Ginger's <laughs> already knew the joke. <laughs> so I would scream it at Ginger kids, and then I and then they would already know because everybody knew that. Wait, so what, you're I called Ginger's Daywalker? Daywalker! Wait, are you saying they knew before the South Park episode? Well, I didn't know it was a South Park episode. Oh. That's the biggest problem. Oh. <laughs> I know what I'm calling uh, my foreman at work on Monday. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Day your Walker. boss is a Ginger? Yeah. Yeah, and he's Ooh. like 23. Oh, boy. You have to see if he takes days off when it's too sunny out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, Carl's good shit. Carl's a good kid? Yeah. Oh, before we get started again, also, you're going to see this Charles Lawrence, this Prince of Smugglers, there's a good chance he could have ended up on that Mount Rushmore if we would have covered really? him in time. Really? He, okay. he does some scummy right. shit, and he deals with some shady people. <laughs> It sounds like I should have waited uh, another few weeks to complete that. Absolutely not. How would we <laughs> listen? This happened because I was playing Hearts of Iron Four, Quick Adam's okay. Game Corner. All right. Hearts of Iron Four is exactly like Crusader Kings Two, but it takes place in World War Two mm-hmm. instead of uh, Middle Ages. Okay. Got so it. while doing that, you have to. I was playing as Nazi Germany for one of them. And you have to shut down smuggling rings, or else uh, your economy will be ruined by cheap goods. So once that happened. And I was, like, looking at shipping lanes and trying to figure out how to get my convoys the best way across the Atlantic Sea and stuff. Atlantic Ocean, that's called. Uh, That's when I was, like, smuggling. I need to find a good smuggler. And that's when I landed on this fella here. How? Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Wait, is he in the game? No. No, are you just saying you were looking at smugglers? I looked up most famous American smugglers, and I found this fella. (laughs) So, what quantifies the difference between a smuggler and, like, just a thief? Uh, smugglers don't steal. They okay. they, they get things like, around they, customs agents. Yeah, so they, they transport can... illicit goods. That's right. Okay. <clears throat> are the Chinese technically smugglers? There are Chinese smugglers, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, I feel like there's smugglers of uh, every ethnicity. <laughs> we, need, we need to find a audio equipment smuggler. So if you're out there, read, send us an email at bumblebuttpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, please. if you got any hot <laughs> headphones, let us know. I mean, when I was 19, I went to the bank to just pull money out of the ATM and like two dudes in a Chevy Astro pulled up and they were like, our boss overordered stereo systems. You want to buy this one? Are they audio smugglers? I They might be just straight up thieves, but yes. <laughs> I, I would never, like, I, I had that with meat once. My boss says I gotta get rid of all this meat. Do you want some high quality steaks? And they were high quality steaks, but it's like, listen, if your boss is trying to offload this meat mm. by making you go around to gas stations, it's probably not good meat. Yeah, huh? see, and these guys said their boss had no idea they had it. Oh. So I was like, oh, th- oh, I could see this being a sting operation, yeah. wow. so no. I'm going to just say this. I have the most respect for meat smugglers. Yeah, because there's smuggler. a timeline. I mean, yeah. You have you have a deadline. You have to sell that meat. You got to be a salesman to be a meat smuggler. <laughs> you definitely do. Charlie had a certain je ne sais quoi about him, and the newspapers certainly loved to describe him as bright, vivacious, and fresh-looking, and a liberal, whole-souled fellow. Okay, sounds good so far. Definitely. Lawrence had worked as a photographer, inventor, publisher, and impresario, which is a person who organizes and often finances concerts, 
basically oh. a producer, but for operas. Uh-huh. So Druid definitely wouldn't have one of these guys. An no, impresario. we did. <laughs> Jordan, Jordan tried to be the impresario, and then it just all fell apart. <laughs> this extremely varied life, as well as being able to find a route out and into almost anywhere, allowed him to be comfortable anywhere from his birthplace in England to Cuba, France, and Brazil, where he had once served as American consul to Brazil. Hell what? Yeah. yeah, I'm telling Fuck you. Yeah. I'm telling you. <laughs> is he, He's a, a, an American, though, correct? Negative. He is yeah. a British boy. He's a British mm-hmm. boy. But he's okay. the American consul. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Just keep going, Adam. You know what? Keep going. I am all in on this. <laughs> Charlie stood accused in the U.S. of the largest customs <laughs> fraud in history. Fuck yeah, dude. Between 1783 and 1785, his you want, click... You want to retake that? Oh, yeah, 1783 and 1785. How did I do it wrong for both of them? Between 1873 and 1875, his clique smuggled 80-plus shipments of French silk, lace, and velvet worth $3 million, roughly $60 million today, into the port of New York, evading over a million dollars in taxes, $20 million today. Holy so, shit. So I'm guessing French silk was the bee's niece at oh, this yeah. time. And Egyptian moved in. Egyptian cotton, my friend. Yeah. Isn't there another type of silk right now that's like the hot stuff? Is there? Maybe non-conflict? Cashmere, Cashmere Maybe. George. <laughs> Cashmere. I just think of French silk pies, which I love. Oh, Oh, fuck (laughs) yeah. If he was a pie smuggler, I would love him even more. Baker Square pie smuggler. He got that holiday silk pie, son. (laughs) Gotta have his chocolate shavings, dude. (laughs) I need those green and red chocolate chips. (laughs) Now, at the time, this was an unthinkably large figure. Eight years previous, the U.S. had purchased all of Alaska from Russia for $7.2 million, and that was a price many felt excessive. Not me, though. Shout out Kaija. You know Re- what I'm saying. Re- really, that was considered excessive for that much land? $7.2 million for all of Alaska, for the yeah, biggest but, state. But you could, could see Russia from your house. That's right. Right from your fucking backyard. I, I mean, that's insane. It's funny because we were talking about this at work, how like countries don't sell land anymore right you know, it yeah, just doesn't right. happen so well yes because the age of exploration is over mm. you know hold on to what you have there's no more i'm pretty sure there's a reason why russia had to sell alaska i think like there was maybe as a well. financial reason or something i remember it. when i was there obviously they were talking about it and obviously like the only part of alaska that's like populated it's like the tiniest little little <laughs> bit of it versus the whole entire state so there's probably dead bodies everywhere there. Oh, yeah. I bet it's a dead body market <laughs> up there. Bezos could have bought this back then. Oh, fuck. Bezos could probably buy it now. <laughs> yes. He probably. just added like $13 billion to his total wealth, like yesterday. Uh, Jesus. I love him. I wish he was my dad. <laughs> I hate him. I'd be his mistress. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I don't even need a prenup. I'll just steal what I can while I'm banging him. True. <laughs> The investigation began in 1874 when importers began complaining that someone was flooding the market with cheap silk. Agents deduced the shipments had been passed right under the nose of Deputy Collector Robert W. Diagnes, a well-regarded Union veteran. With detectives hot on the case, Diagnes was able to scratch a note into a piece of paper. No further communication, verbally or in writing. You are followed, so am I. 
let everything go to the devil, export all you can, and leave me alone and try to save yourself for the future. Lawrence remained cool. He couldn't leave New York until he signed for a shipment worth $50,000, arriving from Hamburg on the SS Pomerania. You know what I was thinking? They're probably not, like, tracking cash either at this time, right? That would be tough. So all this money he's getting, he can basically just do whatever he wants with it. Yeah. You couldn't do this. This would be really... You'd have to, like, launder your money now. Oh, God, yeah. A lot of strip clubs. (laughs) A lot of casinos. A lot of fucking used car dealerships. (laughs) I'm I'm convinced they do it there. What's the one? Frilatas? Furtadas? What's the name of it? Fratelloni's? We were just bagging them the other day, right? Um, 14ers. No, you talked about them. They're right next to... Footh. Footh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Footh. Yeah, fuck those guys. That's money laundering. Oh, God, yeah. But the dude's like the biggest fucking cop apologist ever. Oh, he's a bootlicker? Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Is that the proper name for him? Definitely. I think he like... on their Facebook, they've, like, gone off, and he, like, flunked out of the police academy right. or something, but he wants so bad to be a cop. He's like, we have this custom special edition 2A blue line Ford F-150. It's like they bought a base oh, model man, fucking crew cab, it. and they put, like, a blue line on it and, like, American flag decals and lifted it, like, six inches Fuck and shit. Yes. What? It's like, dude, fuck off. Ultimate hey, smuggler. We are not, we are never going to run an ad for Footh Automotive <laughs> on here. Ready? Unless they give me a free car. <laughs> yeah, thin blue line pickup, please. On January 7th, 1875, Lawrence left his home and headed for the docks with ice cold confidence coursing through him. <laughs> he was sure he could lose his pursuer by hopping on and off a streetcar, entering a hotel, Exiting through another door like Scooby-Doo, <laughs> and then hiding among the clerks, brokers, merchants, and messengers in the customs house. This literally is Assassin's Creed, too. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. He just hi- he's just praying along with everybody in the crown. Walking along with the monks and shit. <laughs> but Charlie was a regular-looking, middle-aged businessman, not Ethan Hunt. Mm. And the detective knew where he was going anyways. When the investigator saw Lawrence write up the paperwork with his own eyes, that was enough for a grand jury to issue a warrant to search his assets. This is what set his entire crazy, multifaceted, sleigh ride escape to (laughs) Halifax in motion. Lawrence was a Jewish romantic, born in another country, raised under another name, and roaming the seas under his own flag. His birth name was Charles Louis Lazarus. At 14, he had moved from England to NYC, getting his citizenship in 1854. Fucking love that last name. We're going to be going over this much more in depth, but this is like the log line, all right? Mm, okay. Two years later, he married Zippera Noah. Zip to friends and family. Okay, it's a, it's a unique lady's name. <laughs> hey, man, they're different times. Different yeah. times. She was the spunky young daughter of a patriotic newspaper editor named Mordecai Manuel Noah. That's a fucking powerful name. <laughs> you bet your ass. <clears throat> it's got three Bible people in it. <laughs> Charlie was forced to change his last name from Lazarus to Lawrence in 1864, a move many of his other family had done in years previous. You think that's just so it's easier to like pronounce his last name or something? Negative. We will get into exactly oh, why okay. it is, Hell but yeah. it's mostly because of Lazarus is a Jewish last name, ah, and he's trying to get away from that. Okay. 
Every time I hear Lawrence, isn't that the name of uh, the Casey. family on Tool Time? No, that's Taylor. Yeah. Oh, that's Taylor. Taylor. I was going to say, like, is this the story <laughs> of our dear former boss's family? His, he spells his with an A. Ah, yeah, maybe it's to get away from it. <gasps> from Charles Lawrence, the Prince of Smugglers. Hey, I've, we've always wondered if he isn't Hebrew or something. So. We definitely have, because he's got a schnoz that can protect a cigarette in the rain. <laughs> <laughs> and no, he never talked about it. He was never like, no, I'm he, an atheist or he, anything. It's he like, said, hmm. don't worry about my religious views. That's what he kept yep. saying, which, yeah. is really? fi- which is fine. That's absolutely fine, <laughs> but it's cagey. But now we're worried oh. if he's still alive or not. So. I'm, I'm certainly <laughs> Listen, I had the thought today to, to uh, text our old Highline group and just, like, send a meme to see if I got any responses from the other two. Maybe, honestly, maybe that's a good idea. You know the type of meme to send in there that we want to Oh, yeah, say yeah it has to be nihilistic as fuck. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Cody and I are on the same page. Yeah. Charlie's in-laws were almost his undoing. His wife's brother, Robert P. Noah, an attorney at the NYC Corporation Counsel's Office, Robert's incoming boss was coming in to clean up the department (laughs) sheriff kind of guy. He was a reformer, and he was eager to sue Charlie's business associates for the roughly $40 his smuggling ring had stolen from the city. Jesus. You got outsmarted, New York. Fuck (laughs) off. Yeah, seriously. Hold that L. (laughs) Robert distanced himself from his brother-in-law, informing the feds that Charlie was on the Caspian, departing from Halifax and arriving in Queenstown. Snitches get stitches. <laughs> what a fucking prick! That's your brother-in-law. I couldn't even be. I couldn't even imagine being like, like Shane's husband turns me in for my smuggling ring. Couldn't even imagine it. Especially after all the fucking trouble you went through to get to Halifax to get on the Caspian. Yeah, no shit. Like this guy just undid everything. It's like, I, oh, my sister could be taken care of for the rest of her life? Well, fuck that. No shit. On March 3rd, the U.S. ambassador requested the British arrest Lawrence upon arrival. The American diplomat emphasized charges of forgery, which was extraditable under international law, rather than smuggling, which would have to be dealt with by the nation being smuggled into. Mm. When Lawrence and the Caspian docked at Queenstown on March 7th, Representatives of local Irish police and the Scotland Yard were both waiting. They took all of his shit, clothes included, but wrapped in those clothes were 250 gold sovereigns and a collection of diamond jewelry given to him by the master jeweler of Tiffany's as an insurance policy for his trip. Holy shit, that's got to be worth a lot. What is a gold sovereign? A gold sovereign is the British uh, uh, golden coin. Okay. It was, they're worth... They're worth a lot. Are they Jesus. Are they like an ounce each? Or yes, they like, they're an ounce okay. of, of Troy gold. Okay. A troy ounce of gold. <clears throat> well, I'm saying like today, people would kill each other for a, a diamond jeweler from the master jeweler of Tiffany's. Fuck yeah. They used to share business space. They were like right next to each other. Really? We'll talk about that later too. Yeah. He, he owns a music shop at some point. And it's right next to Tiffany's, and they become real close buddies. You, you know what's Jesus. funny is I was, when we did the Ponzi, I was looking, remember he said he wanted to buy like a Tiffany's diamond ring or whatever? Yes. So I looked up how old Tiffany's actually was. It was it's like, real old. It's like early 1800s. Mm-hmm. I was like, holy fuck. Mm-hmm. No wonder they're so expensive. 
More interestingly, police seized incriminating letters, reassuring telegrams, and a code book used by the smuggling ring, essentially leaving them wide open and vulnerable. While awaiting his trial in London, Charlie was held in the Clerkenwall, which was a holding facility bombed by the Irish Finians <laughs> just eight years previous in their bid for an independent Irish Republic. Hell yeah. IRA. IRA. <laughs> At this point, they were the IRB, the whatever, whatever brotherhood. <laughs> so they got, <laughs> in, they got an upgrade to NA. That's right. They yeah, graduated. Yeah. In their uh, food safety, they're up a class. Now. What are they throwing, Jameson bombs at the prison? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's what they were doing then. Then eventually they... They moved up to nail bombs. <laughs> <laughs> this particular prison, even though it was perfectly legal to do so, banned whippings and other such violent pub punishments. Even so, Lawrence was terrified. <sighs> well, yeah, you got dudes with mutton chops and shit staring at you like, what's this fucking yank doing here? <laughs> <sighs> Terrifying. Do you think they give them alcohol in an Irish prison? I mean, I feel like they have to, otherwise they'll all die <laughs> yeah. from withdrawals. You'll get the DTs and just shake themselves to death. Each inmate has their own cell, but the men all took yard time together, which was pushing a wheel in a circle. I'm not exactly sure if that's like Conan, like when they're like breaking them at the wheel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure, but uh, they just said they pushed a wheel in a circle. So it's either that or hoop stick. What? I was going to say, like... They're all just chasing it, like, oh, my stick is going to push it next. <laughs> what is the point of when they do that? Isn't it like to make them water? strong? No, oh, no, no. Yeah. okay, okay, just to make them strong. Why would they want to make them stronger? The weak, because they join the weak, die, and the strong join the army. Ah. They join the, the snake army. Yeah, okay, I gotcha. While doing this exercise, a friend passed Lawrence a dirk either to defend himself against other prisoners, help him escape, or to kill himself. He never gave a straight answer as to why he was given the knife. Damn you could have just called it a shank. I know it. I know it, or a shiv or something. Well, a dirk's like a, a downgrade from a dagger, but it's a little better than a shank, I think. Right. Maybe it's they like didn't know how to make shanks ground. yet. Listen, I just hear Dirk, and I think Dirk Nowitzki. Ah, uh, that's fine. <laughs> German the, Moses. Yeah. Oh, man. Not Dirk Cutter. No. The best coach the Buccaneers has ever had. <laughs> <laughs> Discovering the dagger on a random cell search, officials put him in solitary, restricted that boy to trying to get swole off bread and water, and limited visitors to one hour per day. Ain't no protein in that. Definitely not. There's protein in everything. <laughs> The scandal now threatened Abraham Hoffnock, the Liverpoolian backer of Charlie's silk scheme. He was a known smuggler and a gunrunner for the Confederacy during the Civil War. He, in the punishment of the breach of the revenue laws of the United States, this whole scandal will fight away and business would re resume later on. The fire seemed very hot in New York, but like all fires, it will burn out. The affair will be the usual nine days wonder, and then we'll be forgotten. Oh, that was beautiful. <laughs> that was beautiful. <laughs> I don't know what I was doing. It was great. You, you like, <laughs> dropped S's on everything for some reason. I feel like the really, I don't know, what do they call, like, real sloppy English the accent? Cockney. Yes. Yes. <laughs> You're like a Guy Ritchie movie. We, uh, uh, Miss Muffy never taught us how to do, uh, the, uh, what accent? No. Geordie accent Yeah, properly. she never did. Very she never hard. taught us how to be a true Geordie. It's so hard. Uh, this, okay, so yeah, basically Hoffnock's just like, 
don't you fucking worry about it. We'll get you out of this, yeah, and we'll get you back. It'll blow over nine days. Don't even sweat it. Mm-hmm. Abraham Hoffnog was wrong. <laughs> oh, shit. The scandal remained front-page news, and U.S. officials began insisting the British <laughs> extradite Lawrence. Charlie hired a Jose Baez of his day, a celebrity attorney of sorts, and his name was George H. Lewis Jr. He was known for defending England's scandal-plagued elites. Is he going to tell the jury that uh, his dad molested him like Jose Baez did? (laughs) (laughs) Don't think I don't know who that is. We all know Jose Baez. (laughs) Throughout the length of his trial, he would assemble quite the dream team of attorneys, including Judah Philip Benjamin. Three first names. (laughs) A former cabinet officer for the Confederate States before he escaped to the UK at the end of the war. Side note. He was also the first Jew to be elected into U.S. office. Charlie would also hire a congressman, an attorney general, a secretary of war, and the ambassador to Russia. All right, so he's got a fucking team behind him. <sighs> this boy rolls. Does, does he have his jeans on team strong? <laughs> he would okay. have liked Am I the only one who's confused that he was the first Jewish man to be elected to uh, U.S. office but he also was with the Confederates. That's right, because the, when Did, the, were they okay with Jewish people? Yeah, yeah. Were they okay? Oh, yeah. Just they're white. Why wouldn't the Confederates I mean, be okay with them? I don't know them? if they wanted to keep slaves. You, they're not Nazis, they, Cody. Okay. All yeah, right, that's, all that's right. a good point, Cody. All but right. I like it. Maybe you've cleared that up for some audience members as well. I mean, I Possibly. assume if they, if I was thinking it, they might have been thinking it too. So and okay, the foreign market. Again. I forget about the foreign market as well. Oh, How yes. would they know? Why did? Do you know why he went to Russia? Or to the Russian ambassador? I think they just knew each other, and he's got a lot of clout as an ambassador to Russia. I probably. guess like Listen, his went... Insta game was strong. Back oh then. yeah, he got that. <laughs> oh yeah, he got that Insta clout. He DM'd him. They were still getting thumped on in court. Hofnog and his associates went to extreme lengths to try and free Lawrence. They began offering ten thousand in gold to free Charlie, and it just wasn't going. On May first, eighteen seventy-five. The steamship Scythia sets sail with Lawrence aboard, beginning its 12-day extradition journey to America. Woo! Is it weird? All I could think about was a, a new form of Pokemon when you said that word. The Scythia. <laughs> yeah. I hope I'm saying it right, because it's a cool-ass name. It's like Scyther's female form or whatever. Scyther's... It, it it's just going to cut through the water, so yeah. He sucks. He's not a Kabo- good Pokemon. was better. <laughs> the Kabutops. ancient Pokemon that nobody used. Kabutops. <laughs> Wasn't, couldn't you either get Scyther or Kabutops? Weren't no, they the fossils? Was, no. I have no... I Scyther was like... Uh, in the original games, yeah. he was one you caught in like that little park, and he couldn't oh. evolve. It was oh, him and yep. Pinsir. Uh, and depending on which one you had, right, you could get Scyther right, or Pinsir. Right. And then I think in gold and silver, he could evolve to the metal version of himself. I'm going to lose my nerd card. But what was the <laughs> other fossil Pokemon that wasn't Kabutops? Uh, Aerodactyl. Aerodactyl, yeah. that's right. I think he was okay. <clears throat> that's the, the one I always picked. The little parasite thingy was... Yeah. Well, yeah. Aerodactyl had, uh, had fly. A, he yeah. could fly. He was a dragon type, too, yeah. I think. Yeah. So. And so dragon. that way I could go right to, right to Vermilion City. <laughs> Dragon types are fucking OP. No doubt. Yeah. Upon arriving in New York, he was brought directly before a judge who sent him right to Ludlow (laughs) Street Jail. Oh. Charlie was thrilled. 
Why was he thrilled? Well, there he met up with his old pal and cohort, Boss Tweed, <laughs> who was being held pending a, pending a $6 million civil lawsuit. That's at, a lot of millions in this episode. Dude, no shit. <laughs> at the height of his influence, Tweed was the third largest landowner in New York City, a director of the Erie Railroad, a director of the 10th National Bank, a director of the New York Printing Company, proprietor of the Metropolitan Hall Hotel, <laughs> a significant stockholder in iron mines and gas companies, a board member of the Harlem Gaslight Company, Jesus. a board member of the 3rd Avenue Railway Company, a board member of the Brooklyn Bridge Company, and the president of the Guardian Savings Bank. Probably the uh, flattest feet in New York, too. Oh, but yeah. What, oh, I, shit. what I was just thinking here is... And, and the freest lunches in New York, because <laughs> I bet he doesn't pay a single time. His is his like. I wonder what his real name is. Like the, I'm assuming he named himself. Yes, the boss reason Tweed. the reason why he's called Boss Tweed is he was the boss of Tammany Hall, which mm. in the old days was the political powerhouse behind the Democratic Party. Yep. Yep. Yeah, because I had to look them up for the Ponzi episode because mm-hmm. I, I it sounded familiar, but I wasn't really sure. But mm-hmm. it was. Uh, extremely corrupt oh yeah but what i was gonna say is you couldn't run a business nowadays called the harlem gaslight company no probably not probably <laughs> gaslight not. people love to throw around the sounds word like a challenge glass or gaslight so much right now i say it all the time <laughs> gaslight straw man argument oh and yeah i feel like we're missing one more it wasn't until i saw midsummer that i actually understood what gaslighting meant because yeah. that guy was gaslighting her the whole time yeah i'm still not entirely sure what it is yep oh, watch man. midsummer <clears throat> You got, listen, you know I'm what? trying to, but... It's free on Amazon Prime. It's free on Prime now? Is it? Yes, it is. It's free on Prime right now. The account I'm using already bought it, so... <clears throat> I get to uh, well, Amy, we're watching that shit tonight or tomorrow. You two oh, no. need to watch Parasite. Oh, you were saying you two as in me and Jordan. Yes. I see. Gotcha. <laughs> well, I mean... I'm, Even I'm, I got that, I Adam, gotcha. I got and well, I'm the dullest one in this room. Listen, they, right call, me, head. they call me over-the-head Johnson over here. <laughs> No, no, we don't. No, they don't. Nobody ever does. <laughs> Nobody's ever gone. <laughs> At the Ludlow Street Jail, they weren't living in the traditional cells of the prison, but instead were staying in adjoining rooms that were part of the warden's quarters. The pair could call in food, Tweed had an African-American waiter, and Lawrence had friends and chicks over all the time. He's in a hotel. Yes. <laughs> Uh, yes, room service. I'd like some Eggs Benedict at precisely <laughs> 9.17 and 33 seconds in the morning. I feel like this is how Lindsay Lohan spent her time in jail. <laughs> For like the three minutes she was there. Yes. It was like they had both forgotten they stood accused of betraying, debasing, and defrauding the American people. They didn't. And by distant extension, the government. Yeah, good. Fuck them. I kind of feel like Lawrence is kind of like a hero to the American public at this time. You know, it's funny. His relatives right now are trying to basically rewrite history to say that he came from Nottingham. Mm. So that way he can be the Mm. sheriff of the descendant of the (laughs) sheriff of Nottingham. Him and uh, uh, Hugh Grant. There you go. go. (laughs) The moniker, the Prince of Smugglers, was born. The silk smuggling ring made headlines every day alongside all the other dirt the public of the time never forgot about this trial. 
The New York Daily Graphic featured a cover every other day of a cartoon pirate with earlocks. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Which are, uh, which are Orthodox oh. Jew girls. Oh, you know what? I was just going to say, I wish they would bring back these cartoons, but then he said that. I'm like, okay, maybe <laughs> maybe it's better these cartoons aren't here anymore. Might have been run by some uh, Nazis before the Nazis were a thing. This is a joint effort by Walt Disney and Henry Ford, I'm guessing. We're going to, before this episode's out, we're going to talk about how anti Semitic the entire world was at, at this time. But uh, that's, yes, that's, that's your first indication right there. <laughs> Things began to boil in 1876. The delicate relationship between the U.S. and Great Britain was about to be tested when Charlie arrived in New York. He contested that the U.S. had lied to the British government in order to secure extradition. In 1873, the two nations had signed a treaty which rubbed some salve in the still fresh wound that was England aiding the Confederacy while crying neutrality. Wait, England aided the Confederacy? Mm -hmm. Financially, with weapons. I did not know that. Uh, Some think actually (laughs) the the Vatican did too. Really? Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me. Uh, both Abraham Lincoln and who's the leader of Confessory Confederacy? Jefferson Davis. Yeah, they both sent letters to the Pope at the time requesting aid, and according to the Vatican, they stayed neutral, but you don't really know. So. They all cried neutrality. Yeah. But everybody had a vested interest in oh, uh, one side yeah. or the other, you know what I mean? Because the U.S., as we are now, was going to be a powerhouse. It, it, it still surprises me that Obviously, we know what happened in the American Revolution. It seems like Britain and the U.S. kind of like got over that really quick. Right. They just like, kind of like, well, back to business. So maybe this is like England kind of trying to like just gently throw shade at them. Like, right. okay, take this, you fuckers. I think uh, we'll find out. I mean, <laughs> honestly, this is all crazy stuff, and they talk about all of this in the book, which I will bring up again. I'll, re- I'll remember the name of the book, and w- I'll throw it at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> they sent the Confederacy so much orange marmalade, they didn't know what oh, to do with it. Fuck. Wait, Paddington was in charge? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Croissants and orange marmalade. Croissants are French, you dipshit. <laughs> I'm just saying orange marmalade's not that bad on a croissant. Orange marmalade's good on, like, any kind of bread. I won't hear it. Well, you're a hipster, so... The Crown was forced to pay $15.5 million for this act. Ooh. And most Americans saw this as a disappointment. They were hoping for a piece of Canada along with the cash. <laughs> I mean, they could have gotten two Alaskas for that. Right, right. In Lawrence's opinion, the only reason he was extradited was so England could go back to the bargaining table and get their money back. Jesus. In Lawrence's eyes, his sin was not trafficking illegal silk, as it were, but rather challenging the United States government. You're goddamn right. Challenging their rapid industrialization by bringing in cheaper goods and showing the American people how nice foreign luxuries could be. And taxation without representation. That doesn't really apply here. They are being represented. He's trying. But he's... American history class just hit him in the head and he spit on Yeah, he's just regurgitating the book right now. The salt will rise again. (laughs) Settle down, you fucking Toby Keith. But I love this bar and grill. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Applebee's is how it starts. Yeah. Charles Lewis Lazarus was born on the 4th of July in 1833 in Scarborough, Yorkshire, 
at a North Sea resort town where his grandfather owned a jewelry store. Charlie's parents, Isaac Lewis Lazarus and Deborah Jacobs, were British Jews, descendants of immigrants of Central Europe. In 1850, there were roughly 35,000 Jews in England. Most of them had come at the turn of the century, drawn to prospects of wealth created by the Industrial Revolution, and even more had come because their home countries had expelled the Jewry. Charlie's father, Isaac Lewis Lazarus, was the less fortunate black sheep of a successful Jewish family, although he was... A cultivated, educated man. His intense fondness for drink diminished his prospects. Mm. In 1828, Isaac and his brother Samuel peeled off from Scarborough to Bath-on-Tyne to open up a jewelry store. But the partnership soon dissolved. Samuel blamed his brother's drinking. Okay, whatever then, Isaac thought. Instead of of getting his co-op story from being a successful business owner, he'd improve his lot in life by marrying Israel Jacob's only beautiful rich daughter, Deborah. Hell yeah, get her done. You know what's funny? Um, I'm just going to assume, maybe this is inappropriate, but if someone in this time has a drinking problem, it has to be really bad. Yeah. Like, everybody yeah. gets plastered, but this guy's taking it to, like, a new level that... Definitely. He's probably making Irish people blush. Do you know, before, <laughs> I was watching... I was re-watching the Ken Burns Prohibition show. Okay. And they were saying that the average Amer- the average American at that time before Prohibition was drinking 14 bottles of whiskey a month. Holy shit. Yeah. Well, I mean, the water was so dirty and dangerous. Like Here in America in 1920? I think you're thinking of the Middle Ages. No, I think he's falling into the pit where he doesn't know that the U.S. government was poisoning alcohol before Mm. that. Did you know that? Just like they're poisoning vape juice now. (laughs) If I have to see one one more goddamn... Instagram truth meme about carbon monoxide being in vape juice. I'm going to lose it. I yeah. can't do it yeah. anymore. Just it's, stop it. enough. Please give Just it a... stop. Please. For the love of God. <sighs> the young couple migrated to Nottingham and then moved again to Deborah's hometown of Hull to be closer to her father. Isaac ran another jewelry store from here, more than likely staked by this by his father-in-law, but that went tits up after just three years and he was forced to take up a position as a traveling salesman. Well, what did he sell? Fast forward to 1845, (laughs) Isaac bails on England for New York City. He leaves his wife and five children with his in-laws in Hull and gets a job as the authorized agent of J.B. Carey & Co., America's number one manufacturer of ornamental show cars. Fuck you, Hallmark. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you, Hallmark. Let's go. J.B. Carey, let's do it. Now, these were advertisements, usually three and a half by two and a half inches, printed with a color image on one side and information on the other. Can you imagine a more novel concept? It's like the hooker cards (laughs) they hand out on the strip. Exactly. But in 1845. This sounds like... I, I'm I'm kind of doing the same thing for our Patreon right now, well, right? Are, yes. See? Yeah. Except right. uh, not as advanced. We don't have information on the other side. <laughs> hey, I'll tell you what. This time, we have a backside to our prints. Well, are you kidding me? I'm not oh, kidding you. Shit. I especially put it on the backside of the print this month. So, Can you go ahead and save that for 20 minutes? We'll get done with this, and Hell we're going to yeah. talk all about that fucking Patreon. Fuck yes. Hell yes. 
Now, that very same year, Edgar Allan Poe, the editor of the Broadway Journal at the time, which is crazy, right? Mm -hmm. He wrote a whole piece about how fantastic these J.B. Carey trade (laughs) cards were, saying they were... Beautiful specimens, displaying much taste. Wow. Isaac's... Was he British? E-A-P? I think he was a a Baltimore guy. Baltimore. that's what I... I just know he liked Long Island iced teas. That's about all I knew about him. I mean, all I knew (laughs) is he was like the OG goth. Isn't Long Island iced teas like... uh, It's alcohol with a splash of Coke for (laughs) color. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure that's what killed him. Yeah, that'll do it. (laughs) Hey, you know what? Every man's dream should be to die in a gutter. Just gonna say True, (laughs) true. That, I'd like to go out uh, man, in that bed, u- but... That used to be my dream, but not anymore. <laughs> oh, listen to him. Oh. <laughs> Isaac's job in the company was to thwart imposters claiming to be J.B. Carey salesmen who would steal customers, hawk inferior products under the Carey name. Mm, just like old Colony did. I, I just right. hope he, he carried a billy club, be like, oh, yeah, you're... And take out some kneecaps on <laughs> these fucking imposters. Yeah. I feel like that's some uh, mid 1800s. Uh, oh, yeah. Justice. You, you sought your own justice. You sought it. In 1847, Manhattan was already the commerce capital of the United States. For one, it was deep harbored, and the canals connecting the Hudson River to the Great Lakes to the Mississippi River made the city the exact central hub of a shipping lane that connected Europe all the way to Chicago and then straight down to the Caribbean. I mean, that makes sense. For some reason, I thought Manhattan was like a super gentrified right. city. Right. I didn't know it was a soul. Well, Manhattan's not a city. It's a borough of New York City. Will you go kill yourself with yeah. French silk, please? Yeah, drink a French silk bleach pie <laughs> and, and go to sleep. I don't care. You know what I meant. Now, this is a strange thing to think about, but the main business of Manhattan became commerce itself. In 1850, only 16.8% of New York residents worked in factories. The real source of the city's wealth and employment were the docks. And in between 1820 and 1860, 60% of America's imports passed through New York, not to mention 33% of the country's exports. That's actually, like, really surprising. I figured, like, most of the country would have worked in factories. Right. Like, you always see pictures of, like, hellish conditions in factories. (laughs) Dudes wearing overalls and sweating their tits off. But, I mean, it really makes sense because you're getting imports and exports and all that, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, like, for me, like, the 60% of the imports... To the country coming through just Manhattan. It's like, well, you have Boston, you have Baltimore, and like Virginia. everything else on the Eastern Seaboard. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, maybe it was and just it's where all, the main you know, majority is focused in Manhattan. That seems like a lot. Definitely. Yeah. This was the perfect time, Isaac thought, to start bringing over some of his family and flee the business restrictions of Victorian England for good. You see, until 1832, the city of London permitted only 12 Jews to purchase the right to trade on the British financial market. Holy shit. What? They couldn't legally vote until 1835, <clears throat> and Britons who refused to take a Christian oath on the New Testament were barred from election to Parliament. Jesus, you know what? We for, you know pr- uh, Britain's pretty progressive today, but today. we forget, yeah. you know, back back then. Mm-hmm. It's a different story. Jesus. The business laws in London were extremely anti-Semitic as well. 
Commerce on Sunday was forbidden, which hindered Jewish merchants as they took the Sabbath on Saturday and worked on Sunday. Uh, Couldn't they just, like, lie? Say they weren't Jewish? That would, but then that would be betraying their faith as well. Yeah, Yeah, I suppose. The extreme prejudice got so bad that the Jewish people of England began converting their names to Christian-sounding ones. The London Times lamented the fact that The names of the patriarchs and princes of Israel are capable of an expansion or contraction by which they are effectively disguised. The name of Lawrence is one which the majority of Englishmen have found trustworthy and Christian. But Lawrence is easily convertible with Lazarus. It's funny because when I think of Lazarus, I think of that like uh, Lazarus Pit in Batman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I I think that's like an ancient uh, Greek tale or something. No, it's I think it's ancient Christian. I think is Lazarus like is the Lazarus they're talking yeah. about, like the yeah. rebirth thing. Yeah, so mm-hmm. that's a metal ass last name. Fuck At least yeah, mine fucking was. Fuck yeah. Isn't there a band Lazarus oh, AD? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> There's like ten terrible horror movies with the name Lazarus in it. Definitely. That's because it comes off the tongue real good. It's true. In the U.S., on the other hand, Jews could get full citizenship, and the mighty Constitution itself barred religious tests for holding office, while the First Amendment prohibits the government from establishing a national religion or interfering with religious practice. It's crazy to think we were more progressive than them at this time. Is it, though? Well, actually, yes. Because <laughs> the re- because I feel like it's the opposite right now. The reason we're all here is because all the Puritans thought Britain was too good, and that's why they came, or they thought it was too loose, so that's why they came here. I don't here. get that, because the Puritans were psychopaths. You're not know. kidding. They were the least pure <laughs> yes. people of all. The best example of the freedom American Jews experienced was one Mordecai Manuel Noah, the father-in-law to our protagonist. Hell yeah. Noah was a respected newspaper man and citizen. In 1815, President James Monroe appointed Noah as consul to Tunis, which was a, f- con- a country in the Barbary States. What the fuck are the Barbary States? That's where all the pirates hung out, mm-hmm. down in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Hell yeah. This guy's badass. And he assigned him... Monroe assigned him the secret mission of negotiating the return of American hostages. He performed half of the mission perfectly, but he failed to keep it a secret, prompting Monroe to recall him. Was Monroe one that was uh, assassinated? Um, no, but he died in office, right? Didn't he? Pretty sure. I feel like there's something about him like that. You know, I did so much ancillary research for this show in case <laughs> questions came up, but I forgot to look up James Monroe. Who knows all the presidents? There's only one person I know who can recite all the presidents. Yeah. Uh, it was one of the creepy real girls. Was yeah. It Bianca, I think it yeah, was. Yeah, Bianca knows. She sang all the presidents on the last Nobody show. needs to know that. No, that's real bad. <laughs> Get yourself together, Bianca. <laughs> You're supposed to be the Latin spice, not the president nerd. I'm just kidding. Monroe tried to sweep the diplomatic failure under the rug by blaming Noah's Judaism as justification for his recall. But in a democracy like the U.S., official anti-Semitism was a powder keg. Under pressure from the Jewish community, Monroe was forced to officially apologize. Good. In 1829, newly elected President Andrew Jackson 
which is the coolest, <laughs> least racist guy of all time. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> he nominated him. He nominated him to be the surveyor of the Port of New York, the second highest position in the Customs Department. Rivals tried to prevent his appointment using Judaism once again, but nonetheless, Senate confirmed it. Wait, are you saying that Andrew Jackson was a Jew? No, no, he just appointed. Uh, oh, he appointed I Noah. see. Yeah. I see. I see. Um, so. Andrew Jackson, obviously, we know is a racist man, but wasn't he? Did he? Was he just strictly against Native Americans, or was it all of them? I, I feel it like was, it was mainly Native Americans. Yeah, Not but that I that think makes it, was, it better. But I think it was a lot of like uh, white is right. Yeah. You know what I mean? A lot okay. of you're a little too tan. Yeah. Okay. I think it was anybody <clears> tan. <throat> yeah. Okay. All right, boys. Do you remember Charlie? Yes. Mm-hmm. We've been talking a lot about Isaac and everybody else, but let's get back to our boy, shall Hell we? yeah. So in 1850, 17 year old Charles L. Lazarus declared his independence, setting out on a career as a daguerreotypist. <laughs> That's what I want to do. Daguerreotyping was an early photographic process perfect- perfected in France using a copper plate coated with silver and sensitized to light with iodine vapor. It was the first really publicly accessible form of photography. Well, I'm glad you said all that because I was about to ask, what the fuck is that? Yeah, it's uh, it it basically came out so it burns the image onto a piece of, co- mm. of silver coated cotton or cotton silver coated <laughs> copper. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, this came out, and then like four years later, the first professional camera came out, like film camera. So it was like this was a a flash in the pan business. You know what's funny? Gotcha. Like you read that, and I was like, it's weird because the cancer causing chemicals <laughs> in picture production hasn't really changed <laughs> until the digital age yep. came upon yep. us. And even then, who knows if those are giving us brain tumors <laughs> Probably. every time we press the <laughs> Probably. Now Lazarus opened two studios in Manhattan, a block apart. The only problem was he wasn't alone in this hustle. In 1850, 77 active daguerreotypists were operating within the city. His ads promised, Colored daguerreotyped with all the latest improvements in the first style of art, as well as 50 different kinds of the most splendid and varied cases at moderate moderate prices. I mean, it makes sense. If people see their pictures or pictures, they want that. I know. It's a hot commodity. And if you have the latest tech, Nerds are going to want to see that fuck shit, yeah. too. Oh, fuck yeah. I feel like a lot of these people spent their money taking pictures of dead... Their uh, funerals. Wasn't that a big thing? Like, mm-hmm. Pictures of, like, dead people? Get your uh, yeah. get your portfolio up. Ugh. As his business continued to flounder, he lowered his prices, charging only a dollar for a portrait in a frame and promising <clears throat> a magnetic process which shortens the time of sitting. By the end of the month, he was be- he was begging customers to view his portfolio as well as selling gold breast pins, lockets, and other jewelry. I can see how he's getting into smuggling here. <laughs> oh, God. This is the downfall. Yeah. Even though it, he never had his come up yet. He was ambitious. Oh, yeah. As a 17-year-old kid, definitely. That was another problem he had with his shop, was people just didn't trust oh, that a 17-year-old would yeah. be able to get the, like, take good photos or anything like we that. We need to trust young people, man. Sometimes sometimes, sometimes they're really good. Sometimes they have to earn I don't. You know? I do not trust them. They have to earn it. You know Because teenagers scare. 
The living shit out of me. They could care less as long as somebody bleeds. Well, so dark you in your clothes. All right. Whatever MCR song that is. That's I love it. Teenagers. Ah. Yes. Shortly thereafter, Charlie bailed on the whole thing and turned to his true love, the theater. Mm. He befriended all the muckety-mucks of the scene and opened his very own music store at 493 Broadway in 1852. This was the uh, store we mentioned earlier that's right across the way from Tiffany's. Oh, yes. yeah. An ad placed in the New York Times read, American and foreign music for the voice, piano, guitar, violin, cornet, flute, and... <laughs> what is this, sackhorn? I guess. Yep. <laughs> sackhorn, instruments, <laughs> military concert, or... Orchestral music books, paper, as well as tickets. So he was doing everything. If you wanted a Broadway ticket, you go down to 493 Broadway. Hell yeah. I feel like if Drew had had half these instruments, they would have been on it. They would have been. Definitely. Doing the new Star Wars song. I mean, chart. probably. If they, had a, if they had a military concert book, they would have been on the fucking charts. On September 11th. Never forget. <laughs> finally, it pays off. Yeah. 1854, Charlie became an American citizen, swearing Woo! allegiance to the U.S. government and renouncing Queen Victoria. Yeah, fuck you, Vicky. Is that all that it took? Like, you're like, I don't I renounce the queen? Is that, or do you think they have to take a test? <clears throat> you know how it is. Yeah, you gotta do all that shit, mm. and, but you do Even have to renounce then? it. Oh, yeah. Really? Okay. Now, you may think this was a bold and defining part of his life, but it just made things easier stateside. He lost nothing of his English heritage heritage by becoming a citizen because Great Britain didn't acknowledge naturalizations of other countries. Mm. So this is like the safest bet he could have taken. Oh my god, there's no risk, all reward right here. <laughs> he didn't lose his British citizenship and he gained American citizenship. Right. Yeah. Now the music store took the hell off. Everybody loved it. He even got the publishing rights for the 1855 West Point class song The Purple Shadows of the Past Are Closing on the Grey Cadet. Damn. That old chestnut. And he sold his piece of it to parlay the money into a brokerage. As a broker, he helped merchants pass their goods through the customs bullshit. You got him. Charlie had to know tariff schedules. He had to be chummy with clerks who calculated taxes and cleared each shipment. He needed to convince the custom agents to categorize each object he was importing as one or two tax classes below what it actually was. And his most important function was to watch for drawbacks, which were refunds of taxes paid. A merchant could claim this if his imports showed up broken. So obviously, shysty merchants would say, oh, it all came broken. Gotcha. So he would inspect almost every single container that came in under his brokerage. (laughs) So what's he go up and, like, smash with a saxophone and say, oh, it's broken? (laughs) 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 His clarinets are smashing boxes and be like, I need a tax break. Come on. Listen, if I don't get any help here, the bassoon's coming out. (laughs) (laughs) You ever got your kneecaps broken by a bassoon, sir? (laughs) (laughs) Had an oboe shoved up your ass? (laughs) You'll be farting high notes for days. (laughs) (laughs) On November 12th, 1856, Charles vaulted himself into America's Jewish elite by marrying Zipporah Noah, a pretty lively little lady. Oh, hell yeah, son. The two had a blowout of a wedding. Zip's dress was a Met Gala-worthy, richly embroidered white silk number, and the reception guests enjoyed vivens and delicacies of the choicest description. Mm, Sounds fantastic. At the age of 23, Lazarus had settled down. 
The couple moved into the Noah family home where Zip's mother, Rebecca, lived with her teenage sons, Henry and Lionel. <laughs> the Thundercat. <laughs> Lionel, put your sword away and come eat your matzo ball I thought, soup. I thought it was Lionel Richie. <laughs> I actually think it's Lionel. It is. Whatever. <laughs> That's a, see, he had to change his name because Thundercats are very anti-Semitic. Right. It was Lionel. Right. And he had to go to Lion-O because they're so racist. Yeah, no, that all makes sense. (laughs) Mumra is basically Adolf Hitler. (laughs) (laughs) The family organized the synagogue's annual fair to benefit the Jewish poor. And there's a racist joke there about that being an oxymoron. (laughs) Jesus Christ. God damn it. I don't know. That's spicy. As an attraction, Charlie used his music world contacts to get a different and more famous brass band to play every night of the event. Charlie used this fair to solidify his brokerage business by adding a storage business on top of it and marketing the hell out of it. That's smart. Not only could you import your goods at great rates through Charlie, he'd hold on to it until it could go to retail for you as well. Hell yeah. I mean, so far, brilliant. He's a smart fucking thinker. Yes, he is. The couple greeted two sons into the world, Walter Noah Lazarus and Percy Noah Lazarus, before moving into their own home four blocks away. Why do they both have the same middle name? <clears throat> As a uh, uh, a nod to her very famous, very Jewish family. Mm. Okay. As uh, Wait, your middle name's not named after the famous foxes? What famous foxes are there? Or Jeff in, Foxworthy. And it, and it wouldn't be, he, his middle name would be a famous other side. Oh, his mother's side? Yeah. The uh, Gibraltars? Yeah, the Gibraltars. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Where is that from? I don't even know. It should be Jordan Gibraltar Fox. I right. love that. Yeah, me I too. I love that. It's actually Jordan, no- or, uh, Jordan Nord Fox. Now. Oh, oh, yes. He's taken. Wow. I did have to hyphenate it. Wow. <laughs> like many entrepreneurs, Charlie hunted for every single penny, never letting one get away. He would have agents all over the world, and he would move goods from warehouse to warehouse. In January 1857, Charlie took out an ad in the New York Herald, appealing to freedom-loving citizens to buy 10,000 flint muskets with bayonets at a bargain. Listen, Mm -hmm. give me 10,000 muskets. Sure. People would kill for that today. He was acting on behalf of his English agent, who had purchased the guns at deep discount from the British government and was holding them in London. But this wasn't all Charlie was interested in. His business depended on the general prosperity of the nation. The early to mid-1850s were a real uptime in America. The entire world desired California gold, Midwestern grain, and Southern cotton. Hell yeah. With this surging success, foreign investors started going heavy in U.S. firms. Since import taxes were at their lowest since 1816, American companies began gobbling up European manufacturers leading to a huge imbalance in international trade. When you said he was selling those muskets, is it weird? All I could think about was Nicolas Cage in uh, Lords of War, Dogs of War, or whatever that movie is. Where he was selling, like, Russian AKs. Oh, Oh, Lord of War. Lord of War. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is 1850s Lord of War here. Or that uh, Jonah Hill movie. I forget what that one was, but that was a good one. War yeah, dogs. I know what, yeah, War yes, dogs. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. I liked that one. Was that the one with Justin Timberlake? 
No. No, that's Alpha Dog. You're thinking of Alpha Dog. <laughs> <laughs> There's uh, no gun running in that movie. That's I don't mind that movie, but it's uh, no gun depressing. Running. Right. It's a very depressing movie. This entire mid-1850s upswing where Charlie got his start was perched perilously on the Crimean War, which was a bloody international three-year affair from 1853 to 1856. Basically, Russia was angry that the rest of the world wouldn't let them take territory from the Ottoman Empire, which was visibly, obviously Mm. failing more and more every year. By 1857, the bubble popped, the war ended, and foreign investors began pulling out of U.S. markets entirely. Things had become perilous, and when bankers realized they were insolvent, they suspended payments in hard cash, leading depositors to try and pull their money immediately. Much like our good friend Charles Ponzi, this run of the bank quickly led to nationwide general depression. In November, the military was dispatched to protect the Customs House against unemployed dock workers gathering in Thompson Square Park. Amid all this chaos, Charlie's business may have strayed into the not-exactly-up-and-up territory. In 1858, he invested in a 90-ton... Does anybody know how to say that? Schooner. Is it Schooner? Yep. Okay. He invested in a 90-ton schooner called the Express, importing Cuban sugar, honey, molasses, and tobacco. Blackstrap? I believe so. Well, hey, this probably relates to the molasses flood. I guarantee it does in some way. You know where this shit's coming from, Mm -hmm. so. Now, at no time did anyone accuse Lazarus of dishonesty, but the Express was a notorious vessel. The year before, Customs had seized the vessel for the illicit importation of 48,000 cigars. <laughs> in 1859, an express crewman pistol-whipped a Buffalo, a Buffalo deputy sheriff to avoid capture. I mean, that's even acceptable today. <laughs> yeah. The Bills Mafia, you can pistol-whip them. ACAB. <laughs> What's ACAB? All cops are bastards. <laughs> All right, Futhoff auto salesman. <laughs> that's the opposite oh, of Futh. right. That's, uh, yeah, that's dark Futh. In 1860, the schooner was seen painted black and carrying mostly colored persons into the port of New York. After giving suspicious answers about what exactly he was carrying and where he had been, he took off in the middle of the night without clearance. As the country sank further and further into depression, And closer and closer to Civil War, Charlie was at a crossroads. Little more than a decade after his arrival in the U.S., he was not yet a smuggler. His fragile businesses were failing again, and murky business would take him to Europe, Cuba, and New Orleans before this story is over. Find out next week. Hell yes. Oh, fuck yeah. So, actually, I just learned something. So, there was like a big depression before the Civil War took off? Yeah, basically, America used to just go up and down and up and down and up yeah. and down. Well, I mean, I kind of figured that's kind of how it seems like through my life. That's kind of how it's always been. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't know if like it was like a big depression, and then like the South kind of decided to take advantage of that. Yeah, they decided of. to rise again. It was. Well, real. I'm just, I'm just saying, like that's a perfect opportunity to, to strike when the country's at its low. Uh, definitely, yeah. it you was know, really, so. it was really feast or famine over yeah. and over again for America. It was people eating and then people starving, and yeah. then people eating and people starving, just over and over. Yeah, hmm. vicious cycle back. Yeah, then. I mean, it's kind of interesting how like this scamster like 
I learned shit in this that I never knew about American history already. Hmm. Perfect. I mean, it's, uh, I can see why he's on the trajectory he is. Yeah. Because he's at a failed business, anti-Semitic stuff. He's at a successful business. Depression's coming. He's hurting. Contacts all over the world. Yeah. When you hit a peak of financial whatever, you want to stay up there. Oh, yeah. You're going to do what you can to stay up there. You got to keep that lifestyle rolling, Mm -hmm. man. Yeah. I wonder, you know, how much money you said he had uh, in the, like, little precursor in the beginning. I wonder how full a ship was of silk for that much money. I know, Like, is that an entire ship head to toe just silk everywhere? It was multiple, multiple runs, yeah. Okay, yeah. Like, they did it for, like, three years before they got caught. It's got to be, like, two Walmarts full of silk. Fuck. (laughs) Fuck. That's a lot of silk. There's not enough housewives in California to need that much silk. Right? (laughs) Well, boys, if you know anything about silk at home, you can email it to us at bumblebuttpodcast at gmail.com. What's it, Adam? Bumblebuttpodcast at gmail.com. As always, follow us on Twitter at bumblebuttpod and Facebook and Instagram at bumblebuttpodcast. We also have a freaking Patreon. Hell yeah. And it and the new prints you said are amazing. This are. month's yep. prints. Yep. They uh fresh off the press. They'll be coming hopefully this week sometime, maybe next. Perfect. And then we'll get them out to all of our patrons. I you know what's amazing? I really appreciate um when people send us messages about the prints that they've well, received. Feedback. Yeah, and they're just like, I really like this, this is really unique. I mm. love it. You know, mm. that makes me keep in my head being like, okay, we're on the right track. We're doing oh, yeah. something good. This is a potential collector's item maybe mm. in the future. So, Hey, yeah. since it's been so long, is there any way we can run up like a, a list of the Patreons and just say their names quick or something? Uh, Why don't you fire that list at me? Thank you very much to Bianca, Candice, Carly, Christy, Krista, Cody, Courtney, Gwen, Jessica, Kelly, Lisa, Mandy, Penny, Phil and Vance, thank you so fucking much for all your support, guys. Definitely, guys. You're the beast. I'm going to say, beast. I, you know, when we launched this, I didn't know what response we we're going to have. And we've had an amazing response. And oh, we've, yeah. uh, we've already been planning more upgrades for the studio, and it's yep. fantastic. Definitely. The fact that people actually give a shit about us is amazing it feels nice i know it feels really nice it's uh i love our uh our uh fan interaction you know these are i feel like a lot of these people who've talked to us are more like friends than just fans so yeah i talk to them on a regular basis it's fantastic i enjoy it so much we got ride or dies Mm -hmm. like all over the place and that's uh you couldn't ask for more than that no 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 you really can't well boys now it's time for the most important part of the show at least if you ask cody the itunes reviews uh, we got one more non-written, it looks like, so, but it's a five-star. So we're not going to complain All about right. that. Jordan Threat's might have active. to threaten you. Listen. <laughs> Threat's still there. Threat, Threat exists. We <laughs> haven't there. had a written for a while, so. There's about to be blood. There, right. there will be blood. Yeah. We know you guys are out there, so just, you know what I've been saying in, like, <clears throat> subliminal deception if you use iTunes still, leave a five-star review, but I'm all for the Spotify takeover, so yeah. go for it. You can't but leave a review on Spotify. If you're using right? iTunes, like, it takes two seconds to hit five stars and just Say, take hey, an extra job. 20 seconds to be like, this podcast good, yeah. and send that. 
That's all you got to do. And then guess what? The threat <laughs> disappears for a week. That's all you got to do. Stiglitz and then it, stole his brother's phone and wrote a review for us. Yeah, yeah. You steal, can do that too. Steal your relatives, steal your aunts, as long as, we, as long as we get it written, we're good. Otherwise, I will track all of you down. You know he will too. <laughs> and you know he will. He has a Honda, Honda CRV. He isn't fucking around. It, that can drive underwater. <laughs> Fuel economy is And guess wonderful. what? There's about to be a second me that's going to help me in that's hunting right. you down. Baby Jordan. Damn, you want to get killed by his offspring? No. It's embarrassing. Definitely. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Bubble Bub Podcast. That's going to do it for all of us here. I've been Adam. That's been Jordan. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you, Adam. That's been Cody. Thank you, Cody. Thank you, Adam. And thank you, everyone. And everyone, have a nice weekend. Unless it's Tuesday. My kid's a boy. Yay! (laughs) Oh, congratulations.